This is the Nutanix Community Podcast with Angelo Luciani, episode 57. Here we go. This week on the podcast, Dwayne Lesser and I chat with Scott Lowe from Heptio. Many of you know Scott from his community work in the virtualization community. He's an author of several books, blogger, and speaker. Scott discusses all things Kubernetes. It's a great listen and very insightful. Let's join the conversation. Today, we're lucky to have a gentleman that's been a community, a strong community member in any community that he's been involved in. Today, we have Scott Lowe. Welcome to the show. Thank you. I appreciate it. I'm uh, very, uh, very happy to be here. Appreciate the opportunity. I, you know, uh, Nutanix kind of being born on the virtualization side, I think, you know, a lot of our listeners will know who you are, but for the ones that don't, um, why don't you uh, tell us a bit about yourself and and what you're up to um, these days? Sure, sure. Yeah, so I, uh, I I did sort of uh, spend a lot of time in the virtualization space. I look back on it now, um, having transitioned out, and I'll come back to that in a moment. But I look back on it now, and I guess it's it's probably close to 15 years uh, focusing on on VMware's technologies and products. Um, only five of that actually working for VMware, which is the last five. Um, but uh, yeah, very fortunate to have been an opportunity, you know, to have the opportunity to be part of the community to help. Um, people understand how how uh, VMware's products and virtualization in general uh, was working and how to put it to work. Um, had the opportunity to do a few books. So if the name sounds familiar, but you can't quite place it, perhaps because you looked at a copy of Mastering VMware vSphere 4, 5, or 5, 5, um, after which point I transitioned the series off to a I, fantastic gentleman by the name of Nick Marshall. I just got rid of, I just parted ways with the, the 4 book <laughs> the oh, other right. day. I'm like, I probably don't need this anymore. Yeah, probably not. <laughs> probably not. <laughs> since we're coming up on 10 years since the product was released, yeah. Um, I have a copy, of course, but that's for sentimental purposes. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I was really uh, fortunate um, to have the opportunity to do some books and uh, speak at a lot of events and that sort of thing. And then uh, earlier this year, I, I made the decision to uh, move away from the virtualization space uh, more for personal career satisfaction rather than anything else, not a reflection on um, where the industry is or anything of that nature, but just more, uh, you know, wanting to challenge myself. Um, and so I, uh, left VMware where I'd spent the last five years working on the NSX team and, uh, joined a, a startup uh, by the name of Heptio, um, was founded by the co two of the co-creators of, uh, Kubernetes, uh, Joe Beta and Craig McLucky and, uh, working there on our customer facing team, helping customers actually implement Kubernetes in production and, uh, very, very, uh, just absolutely loving it, loving uh, working with this team and and with this product and with this community and having a, having a great time. Yeah, they seem like a great group of individuals. I know I've uh, partaken quite a few Kubernetes on Fridays, uh, their YouTube channel. I know that's been really helpful for me on this side, getting yeah, up to the speed. TGI, TGIK or TGI Kates, I think uh, that Joe and Chris Nova and even uh, a good friend of mine, Duffy Cooley, did one a few weeks back. Um, so, yeah, it's been pretty popular. Um uh, maybe maybe one day when I when I've earned my stripes in the Kubernetes community, I'll I'll get on there and do one. <laughs> my problem is I like to, for kind of having a lax workout day, just throw something on 
the the computer, slap it on the treadmill and, and look at it. But staring at the code is just too hard <laughs> in that setting to to get any value out of it. So I got to be a little bit more focused. But they are they're great uh, resources. Can't can't beat the price. That's for sure. Oh, yeah, for sure. Absolutely. You know, so that, that kind of really brings us, you know, why why bring Scott to the the show is like one of the questions that has been coming up a lot on our side, or at least what I see happening um, around Kubernetes is the notion of, you know, do you build it yourself or do you go to a managed solution? I think both of those terms are probably fairly loaded on what someone classifies as do it yourself versus managed. I think, you know, on the managed side, you definitely have the cloud providers, AKS, um, and what Amazon's doing, uh, and also J, uh, JKE. But then on the do it yourself, I don't know, I guess maybe you can, if you want to provide your definition of do it yourself, is it just totally building it from scratch? Or do you look at uh, a Docker enterprise or an OpenShift is do it yourself or do they follow into the managed bucket? Well, you know, this is one of those discussions that you have a, you have a few different dimensions to look at it, right? One dimension is the one you've described where it's sort of uh, self-managed or provider managed, right? And platform there, honestly, is, is I mean, kind of a second decision. Um, sometimes the platform is tied to the managed service in the case of, you know, Amazon EKS or Google GKE or Azure AKS, you know, obviously those those managed services are only available on those platforms. But you could also be looking at like, um, you know, say a platform nine, right, which provides a managed service. But uh, you could do that uh, using on-premises uh, capacity. Um, so so there's that dimension. Um, there's also the dimension of, uh, you know, whether it's on-premises or hosted in the cloud. Um, uh, and then the other dimension would be sort of like, how are you consuming Kubernetes? And are you consuming Kubernetes through a distribution, which would be similar to like an OpenShift? OpenShift is a little more than a distribution because they also add a bunch of platform as a service functionality on top um, of the core of Kubernetes. But you could be looking at a distribution such as uh, PKS or, or OpenShift if you wanted to class that into that group um, as other dimensions. So do, are you going to consume upstream? And, and get the latest and greatest, sort of, you know, the, the quote-unquote purest form of Kubernetes? Or are you going to be looking at a fork, um, which essentially is what all distributions are, um, that has some sort of lag between when the community releases a version and when they release their version with the added, you know, special sauce that makes the distribution a distribution, right? So there's a few different dimensions there. Um, uh, I, don't, I, don't, I think DIY, people probably look at that and think, they probably combine a couple of those dimensions and think I'm going to go upstream and I'm going to, uh, and it's not going to be managed. Right. And that's probably sort of where people would think about when they, when they think uh, DIY Kubernetes. Yeah. You know, I guess as a side note to working at Heptio and maybe people, if they don't know enough about Heptio, Heptio to me anyway, is kind of like uh, the Switzerland of Kubernetes. You're, you'd really, go off and support any of these different varieties. Is that a correct statement? Uh, I, I wouldn't say any of them. Like, you know, we- Or we quite a not, few. <laughs> yeah, 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 quite a few, for sure, for sure. So, you know, um, our our, uh, our products um, right now, we have uh, a product called the the Heptio Kubernetes subscription. And I, I don't want the podcast to turn into an advertising thing in, in any, any way, shape, no, or my, fashion. Right. I just want to get people to know your perspective. And so there's just a little bit more weight behind uh, your words. 
Right, right, right. Okay. So, um, yeah, so you, we have this subscription service, uh, this product where we offer service and then we do, we do professional services, integration stuff as well. Um, and as a result of, of that, you know, we focus pretty heavily on upstream Kubernetes, but all that we do is, is focused on, on Kubernetes itself. Like that's our, our sole focus, right? Um, so we wouldn't necessarily get involved in a distribution, but if you were doing anything else, you know, the distribution, because they have some proprietary stuff typically wrapped up in that, um, whether it's an installer or whether it's some extra functionality or whatever the case may be that's vendor specific, we wouldn't necessarily get involved in that. But anything else, you know, we we have customers that are using managed services. We have customers that are doing DIY. We have customers that are on-premises. We have customers in the cloud. So, you know, we we cover all these sort of things um, and uh, certainly can offer perspective from from a variety of different uh, directions. Well, there's, there's definitely lots of people doing, you know, DIY. It was finding a a stat that had not an old survey too, I think just a couple of months old saying like 63% of all users that were running Kubernetes were on Amazon EC2. So they're obviously, you know, building it themselves some way or somehow. Yeah, uh, for sure. I think maybe, you know, I guess it's like, what, you know, what are your challenges? What are you trying to do with it? And there's probably just as there is in anything, there's a lot of different focal points, storage, security, networking. Do you, do you have a waiting or do you break it up based on what you know the customer's asking for where maybe they should be pushed to to look at a solution or is it it's probably snowflakes all over the place based on the customer well um you know we we so uh, i'll 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 agree with your statement regarding snowflakes in in one context and that is that every, every customer has a unique situation right even if even if you talk to two customers in the same industry right, who, who may even be competing over the same market segment, they are still going to be unique. And in that in that regard, their implementation will therefore be unique, right? Um, and so, yeah, there's, there's all kinds of snowflakes out there because every customer has specific requirements that they need. That being said, uh, you know, as a company and as individuals, because we believe this is what's best for the industry, we try to drive standardization as much as possible. And so we do see common themes uh, with customers, depending on what they're trying to accomplish and depending on sort of pre-existing decisions that they have made, you know, we may run into a customer who, is, who has said, for whatever reason, uh, you know, AWS is our preferred platform of choice and we're going to deploy everything on AWS, right? And so stemming from that decision um, or that constraint, if you wanted to put it in, in, that, in that sort of terminology, then we can lay out designs around the rest of it about what a, a Kubernetes architecture would look like based on upstream um, that would meet to their business requirements. And so really it comes down to, you know, what what problems are we trying to solve? And then what, you know, constraints are we working under? And therefore, how can we come to the, you know, to the final design that, or architecture that helps the customer do what they're trying to do, right? Um, but there are, uh, you know, there are, or, or could can be challenges around storage, networking, that sort of thing. I think Probably the one that is most challenging, um, especially for uh, on-premises, is uh, storage. Um, just because of the kind of nature of of traditional enterprise storage versus, you know, the sort of more dynamic nature of a cloud-native platform like Kubernetes. Yeah, there's not really, if you're going to do Kubernetes and have, you know, whether it's a couple developers or maybe hundreds, 
no one, they're definitely not going to want to wait around for storage to be provisioned to carry on with their work. At least that's probably why the whole everyone went to the cloud in the first place. Um, well, yeah, and, and honestly, it is like, uh, you know, and if we if we're honest with ourselves, uh, you know, we, we've all spent time in in industry, in enterprise, you know, IT. Right. And we know how in enterprise IT works and how it doesn't work. And the reality is that things like shadow IT and the rise of public cloud and developers moving to public cloud is because they they were able to find a solution that met their requirements. And one of those requirements was um, speed of delivery. And I mean, it's just, it's just, it is how it is. And if, you know, if you're a listener and you're an enterprise, you know, IT and you're like, oh, I don't understand why this self-service thing, you know, it's because people don't want to wait and they have a job to get done and they have timelines they need to do it. And, you know, we, as IT professionals, we need to be looking at it like, how can I improve the service that I'm providing to my customers and my customers are your internal employees. Yeah, I think everyone's had some story where you, you even start ahead of schedule, but then due to waiting on X, Y, Z, you end up, you know, the night before trying to, <laughs> to get something done, which is, you know, stress levels galore when that happens. The uh, So as of yesterday of this recording, um, Nutanix released AOS 5.9, which has a tech preview of what we're calling Carbon, which is... Uh, I'd say more of a opinionated, maybe Kubernetes, you could say managed as well, um, but it's 100% upstream. And so that's, you know, what we're trying to do as part of that is, you know, fast deployment times and having the, the storage integrated. But that being it's 100% upstream, you can really kind of, you know, tinker, or do whatever you want with it. Um, are there, you know, if you get something vanilla out of the box, do you have any certain... Uh, I want to say packages, that's not the correct term, but um, add-ons that you would look at deploying for Kubernetes? So um, we have a set, as, as a company, we, we have a set of recommendations that we make to customers. Um, we have part of our, our HKS product offering is a is a, a validated design, the Heptio validated design of the HPD. And it makes some, uh, like you said, some opinionated decisions about what a production quality Kubernetes cluster should look like in the absence of business requirements that would drive otherwise, right? So, you know, we can say, well, if you have a business requirement that says you need to be able to do, you know, foo, then products, you know, bar and baz would be options. But in the absence of a business requirement, we would recommend you look at this, right? Um, and and so, uh, you know, we, we typically work a lot on the networking side with Calico, uh, which is a very mature, um, networking plugin for Kubernetes, um, and I like uh, I like to refer to Calico as kind of like the NSX for containers, but that might it's a vastly over generalization, but maybe people can kind of understand where that's coming from. Yeah, you know, sure. I mean, you know, if you look, if you need some context around networking and Kubernetes, right? You know, they have they have this thing called CNI, the Container Network Interface, and that's the the means by where whereby any sort of networking solution can plug into Kubernetes. Um, VMware themselves, you know, not too long before I left, had introduced some some integration with Kubernetes via CNI using NSX, um, and that's the culmination of work that I helped, uh, you know, formulate and strategies that I helped formulate while I was there, um, finally coming to market. But um, you know, Calico has been around for a very long time, and is very mature, very well understood, and um, and very stable, and uh, we see it 
work really, really well in a lot of different environments. There are others, of course, um, that are out there. Um, and, um, and then they all have their various, you know, strengths and weaknesses. And so, again, this is where it kind of comes back to, you know, what are you trying to accomplish and what do you need to accomplish and, you know, what makes sense for, for your particular architecture? The, I know the tech preview uh, for Carbon is, so has Flannel today included on the install or the deployment, um, but we are going to add Calico for GA. Yeah, yeah. Just, you know, I have no no previous knowledge of Carbon, so you know, this is this is cool to talk about it, right? But I, I would definitely move away from Flannel to, to Calico. <laughs> yeah, I think Flannel is just, you know, the easiest to get out with the default um, settings. The um, interesting, I think Kubernetes 1.12 just got released not too long ago, last week. Yep, yep, absolutely. And they added two more. I had a chance to look at them, but they added two more network policy components, um, egress and IP block. Do they fit into Calico or are they actually just native into the, the platform? So uh, as, I, as, I, as, as I understand it, those additions are part of the Kubernetes network policy definition. So they're not... Uh, not specific particular provider, and and then the providers like Calico would just need to implement that. And I point that out just because Calico itself has its own network policy, which is, is specific to Calico that can be leveraged by Kubernetes, but it isn't part of the native Kubernetes network policy definitions, right? Yeah, and I think um, we're so. we're probably all happy that it's not, <laughs> just because I think Kubernetes as a project has done a great job of keeping it kind of small and tight, and then letting these other you know, letting the other bits kind of grow organically without slowing it down. Right. Yes, we, we probably all don't want another open stack as far as trying to to manage that. No, I mean, we. I think that as as consumers of the technology and as members of the community, we're we're best served, and we best serve others when we focus on um, doing things that are beneficial to everyone. Right. Um, so this is this is an opportunity for members of the community and companies who are supporting the community to to think past what's just good for them and instead think about what's best for everyone who might need or want to leverage the functionality that we're building in Kubernetes. It is pretty remarkable that everyone has kind of realized or seen, I don't want to say seen the light, but at least everyone's working together towards somewhat of a common goal by using uh, Kubernetes as the, the orchestration engine versus, you know, building it themselves. And I think a, a lot of people were guilty of doing that, you know, Nutanix included, because we had a, a previous version where we were, were doing that. But so was, you know, so was Microsoft and and others. So it's pretty, it's pretty great to see. Um, so there should be, you know, as everyone's doing the same thing, more advancements uh, focused on the same area. Yeah. And, and make no mistake. I mean, you know, there, there, there is still uh, conflict, um, uh, mainly around uh, you know sort of the conversation we had before we we got started on the podcast about people having you know opinionated views and, and strong opinions uh, regarding things. And so people, you know, there, there's it, it's human nature. People are going to you know have conflict about the best way to get something done, and and that happens. It, it just it is what it is. But the you know the nice thing that I at least as that I have observed thus far is that. Um, you know, those things uh, are it, almost always in the context of figuring out what's best for the project and the community, not, um, you know, my way or the highway sort of things. So and, and, that, and that's a positive reflection on the founders of the community and the founders of the project. 
I don't have much experience with Mesos, but Docker Swarm, I still thinks, I still think it's really powerful and, and easy to use. It's, uh, I guess, another part of that 1.12 release was uh, TLS bootstrapping, which will definitely help on the the Kubernetes side. But yeah, just because it's, you know, well, I guess it's always the case too in IT. The best products don't always win. I'm not saying that of either or, but, you know, there's a, a variety of reasons why things succeed and fail in our industry. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um. Back, you know, back on the do-it-yourself track. What are some considerations where you would urge someone to go one way or the other? Like, I don't know if there's be a waiting, but some things that come to my mind are deployment time, monitoring, troubleshooting, um, upgrades, which seem kind of hit and miss in the Kubernetes side. Or do you have like strong, just our opinions on what to look for versus the two? So when it comes to making a decision, you know, for for an organization about whether they should build and, and manage Kubernetes clusters themselves or consume some type of managed service, it really comes down to uh, business requirements, and and that is the the managed services are by necessity uh, opinionated implementations, right? If you look at um, EKS, for example. And I'll point out a couple of things, and, and this is no way intended to be a negative reflection on, on EKS or any of the others, just an observation, right? If you look at EKS, you know, they have made opinionated decisions about how networking works, um, how authentication works. And if those opinionated decisions don't satisfy your business requirements, well, then you're doing your company a disservice by trying to shoehorn EKS to fit your use case, Right. Um, same could be said for for Azure AKS or for Google GKE or for something like a Platform 9, uh, about which I have Platform 9 specifically very, very, very little knowledge. Um, just talked with their folks a few times. But um, so it really comes down to business requirements. Uh, one, one specific example I can provide that we've encountered with customers um, is, in, again, in regards to EKS with Amazon. And that was that the customers um, had specific requirements around being able to uh, have access to the logs that are generated by the control plane nodes in a Kubernetes implementation. And specifically the audit logs, being able to see who did what when uh, as, as the cluster was in operation. And last time I checked, uh, that was something you couldn't do with EKS, is you couldn't get access to those logs. Um, now, that I'm sure that's something that Amazon will fix in some fashion um, or provide a a service, a workaround. A workaround. They may charge you for that, but they'll they'll give you a workaround, um, and, and so that's look, fine. But those are the sorts of things. Free. Exactly <laughs> right. But those are the sorts of things you have to look at and just kind of determine. You know, what are your business requirements? What do you need to do? And does that managed service fulfill those requirements? And if it doesn't, then you're you're going to need to go down a, a DIY route. And and then once you determine that you're going to do a self managed route, and maybe maybe self managed is better than DIY. Once you determine you're going to do a self-managed, you know, approach, then you have to decide, okay, am I going to go upstream? Am I going to use a distribution? Am I going to, you know, sort of cobble together my own set of decisions? Or am I going to take an opinionated, you know, collection of, of technologies from somebody else, right? And again, I, I don't want to, uh, you know, the, these opinionated collections, like what you're describing Nutanix is doing with Carbon, or what, what you might see, you know, uh, Pivotal doing with PKS, right? These these sort of make decisions for you about this is what it's going to look like. There's nothing wrong with those. Um, again, you just have to evaluate 
did these decisions that have been made in this opinionated distribution, will they meet my business requirements? And if they will, then great, fantastic. And if they don't, then you kind of have to go back to, okay, I'm going to go to an upstream solution and I'm going to make my own decisions about networking and storage and logging and monitoring and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. I, you know, for, for carbon's sake, I would say it's fairly vanilla and like the opinions are really on for us and it was how mostly on how are we going to support our customers. So we were offering uh, a logging stack, Elasticsearch, Kibana, and Fluentbit that's deployed to grab the logs. But even if the customer doesn't want to use that, they could still push their logs to their, you know, their Splunk if they wanted to. But we, we still want it deployed because, you know, when they call up at, you know, 10 p.m. on a Friday, <laughs> we still want to be able to easily support them. Um, yeah. So. Sure. But it, and, and and again, you know, I. I'm in no way casting a negative light on opinionated implementations um, because they they do serve a very valuable purpose. And that is to your to your point about carbon specifically is allowing a vendor who is providing an opinionated um, uh, implementation to make decisions that are in the best interest of that particular vendor's customers. And that's exactly what you guys are doing. And there's nothing wrong with that. That's that, that's just good business in my mind. Right. I mean, you want to make sure your customers are happy. So you do it. Um and uh, and and the and the trick for customers, you know, folks who might be listening to the podcast, if they're trying to decide, oh, do I want to use carbon or do I want to go do something else, right? It all comes down to business requirements, and that is, you know, can 100%. I make this? Yeah, can I make this fit my requirements? If so, great, uh, you know, and then go from there. And if I can't, then I look for a different solution. I always tell people that you know the Nutanix sales team probably doesn't care what you deploy on Nutanix, whether it's you know OpenShift with vSphere or carbon or docker enterprise they're probably just happy it's on nutanix but yeah 100 percent going back to business requirements is you know is key i think you know it's like you come across for me i do a lot of dr and backup and you come across customers that have these like they're saving snapshots from a year back and you're like why <laughs> just because um so it's pretty it's easy to get into i'm sure i've done it lots in my past too so but um, yeah, it takes communication. I guess that's the hardest part in IT is the, the the people equation. Well, yeah, for sure. I mean, you know, we we joke about layer eight, you know, referring to the you know the layer above all the seven layers of the OSI model, right? And that layer eight being people or politics or opinions or whatever the case may be. You know, insert your own definition there. Uh, but for sure, you know, one of the things that as IT professionals we need to do a better job of doing than we've done in the past is understanding that what we do as IT professionals and the technology that we implement and support and recommend is being done for the purpose of supporting the business, not just because it's cool or neat or you know whatever, right? I mean, we, everything we do is, is, is targeted at helping our businesses and our organizations be more successful. Yeah, I totally agree. Um, one, there's two other things I kind of wanted to touch on because one of the things that drew me to Heptio was a product called Heptio Arc, which I've used to back up Carbon, which I think just great tool. Um, people, are, you know, if you're a community member, you want to get involved, you can like even help build it. Uh, so I don't know, have you played around with Arc in your day-to-day -day work? Yeah, for sure. So Arc, Arc is one of a number of open source projects that uh, we as a company launched. Um, one, one of our core values is to be, um, you know, like, uh, I guess the right term would be, you know, uh, appropriate community members. Like we want to make sure that we are contributing to the community. Um, 
and and doing so in a, in a meaningful and and worthwhile way. And so Arc is one of the projects that that we helped create out of feedback that we got from customers and the feedback we got from customers was, hey, I don't have a way to back up my Kubernetes cluster, right? And um, and so we have a development team, uh, you know, behind Arc, but it is a fully open source project. And, and Dwayne, you're absolutely right. You know, anybody can help contribute, submit PRs, um, that sort of thing. Um, it's it's a great, great tool. It's one that we recommend to customers for, for backing up um, their Kubernetes clusters. Even, um, and I had this discussion actually yesterday, just yesterday afternoon, somebody asked me, well, why do I need a backup solution for Kubernetes because you know, hey, containers are ephemeral, right? And, and and I'm like, yes, they are. But even if you have a set of workloads that are 100% stateless, and I would I would even argue that, right? But just for the sake of discussion, even if you had um, a, a set of our applications that are 100% stateless, there is still state from the cluster itself that you're going to want to maintain. Even if all the workloads, even if you're following one of these GitOps workflows where, you know, everything gets published to Kubernetes straight out of Git, right? There's still state in the cluster itself that you're going to want to carry over, right? Um, almost invariably. And, and so for that reason, even if, just for that reason, even if it's not helping to capture workloads and state created by workloads, which it can do, um, it, there's still value in being able to capture the state of the cluster itself. Dwayne will sleep better at night with the backup. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Um, yeah. So I think that's a great project. I think it it well, it stores the backup to object storage. I think it even has a a way to do that, even if you don't have object storage today. Uh, so it's pretty pretty powerful. And the other the one that I've been wanting to dabble with, and I haven't had time, but I'm just in the process of getting, or the tech marketing team is getting their own GPU cluster. So machine learning and GPUs is is on the horizon for Dwayne. Um, what has your experience been with getting that going? Uh, I noticed you had, you were talking about a couple of days ago that <laughs> about some problems or things you were seeing in the community. Yeah. So, um, uh, I don't have any direct experience in ML or, or leveraging GPU. I was, um, I was attending a community meetup a couple of days ago and, and one of the speakers, um, was a speaker who had done a bunch of work in machine learning and was sharing some of his experiences using uh Kubeflow, which is um, uh, a tool designed to help implement uh, TensorFlow on Kubernetes, um, as I understand it. And he was sharing some of some of the challenges that uh, his project had run into. Um, and uh, uh, you know, so yeah, it looks like a, it looks like a, certainly a very interesting sort of um, area. Um, not one that um, I personally have have had a lot of experience in, and um, you know, so I can't speak to that directly. But certainly, anytime you have sort of very specific requirements like being able to leverage a, a GPU, right? And wanting to um, take advantage of that particular hardware, but yet do so in a uh, abstracted and orchestrated way, you can certainly see where there may, may be some challenges. Yeah, I think, you know, on a related <laughs> side topic, the the big news that came out yesterday was the Cloudera and Hortonworks <laughs> joining forces and I guess there's probably multiple takes on the why, but to me, Kubernetes is even becoming the scheduler for those workloads, even though there might be some work to do. But it's uh, it's exciting times, I think, for for everyone. Yeah, it, it is. And and while um, while you know we still have a ways to go with regards to addressing some of the technical challenges, I think that um, if if we 
as a community and as the vendors who are contributing to the community and as individuals who are working within the community, um, I think we have a real great opportunity to to make Kubernetes something more than just a container orchestrator, um, to actually begin to do lots of very interesting things across um, um, across a lot lots of different IT disciplines. Um, and so, uh, you know, I think I think there's some really interesting and exciting times ahead. Yeah, I think the the sky's the limit. You know, working working together for a common goal <laughs> is probably a value that could be taught more <laughs> everywhere around the world. So, uh, I'm looking forward to it. Um, with that, um, you know, wrapping it up, Scott, or what are your next plans on the the reading list? Um, what you know, what should people be looking for? Yeah, sure. So I'm I'm. Uh, Trying to wrap up right now, uh, finishing reading a slightly older book um, uh, uh, called uh, "Building Microservices" by Sam Newman. Um, trying to trying to bone up on, on some of my development uh, skills there, um, and, uh, and and just help customers better understand sort of you know what what those architectures look like as they begin to port applications over to onto Kubernetes. Um, and then you know I'm I'm uh, you know I'm heads down with customers, so I I, I get exposed to all kinds of interesting. Uh, use cases, uh, so um, you know I'll I'll continue to turn those into generic um, lessons to be learned and and uh, information that the community can take advantage of and share that out through you know articles on my site and and, and other other things. Um, so you know I'm I'm just really thankful to have the opportunity to be um, you know where I am professionally and and personally and uh, hope that in some fashion you know I can help others on on their journey as well. Well, with that, I know Angelo is looming in the wings, listening in. Maybe Angelo, do you want to give your your three questions? <laughs> <laughs> oh, Dwayne, good one, Dwayne, good one. Um, here we go, Scott. These are uh, these are questions where we just ask for what comes top of mind, real quick. Okay. Um, iPhone or Android? iPhone currently pending. Evaluation of Android. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay. Favorite favorite app. Favorite app. Uh, my text editor. Oh, oh. Is there one in particular, or is it just the sort of the one that comes with your system? Uh, no. Uh, so I actually have standardized on Visual Studio Code, uh, which is uh, you know a Microsoft product, which is kind of surprising since I run Linux, but. Uh, nevertheless, that's the one that I've converged on. Um, after various years with Sublime Text, which is a great platform, um, I, I am using uh, Sublime, uh, Visual Studio Code as my primary text editor these days. Right, and, a man and, after Redmond's heart. <laughs> and and finally, uh, because I know you're a Linux user, and this might be an unfair question, uh, but what what's your uh, I was going to ask what's your favorite Linux distribution, but maybe I should ask what's your current maybe a more fair question is what's your current distro that you're using my, my yeah my current distro is uh fedora okay good stuff so i run i run fedora 28 i was a long time ubuntu user um but for a variety of reasons i just felt very comfortable with fedora so that's where i've that's where i've landed thanks scott yeah thanks scott for for joining and spreading some knowledge for our listeners and look forward to catching you online and keeping up to date Sounds great. I appreciate the opportunity. Thanks for joining us today. Be sure to check out the Nutanix online community at next.nutanix.com for resources, blogs, and continuing the conversation in our forums. 
consider attending one of our Nutanix user group meetings in your area and connect with peers and just geek out on the tech. With that, from the team here at Nutanix, have a great week. Thank you.